I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and today I come to you from the road yet again. So last week I was in Boston, and this week I'm in the beautiful nutmeg state of Connecticut. And what am I doing here? Well, I have the absolute pleasure and privilege to train police officers from all over the state of Connecticut on the understandings and concepts of leadership, mentoring, and supervision. All three of these are extremely important for leaders of the future. And these men and women that were in the class, I have to say, are extraordinary. Some were patrol officers about to be promoted uh, to the rank of sergeant. Some were sergeants who were new in their position. Other were sergeants who were being promoted to lieutenant. And the concepts that we cover, uh, the three different areas that I put together, uh, leadership, mentoring, and supervision, are really applicable to every organization. It doesn't have to be just for law enforcement. It could be for any organization you're involved with. So the, so the whole idea was that there's lots of uh, leadership courses, and they teach you some concepts about leadership and the ideas behind leadership and what you should do. And I thought that was always good. We should always learn if you're in a position of leadership of anything, of a, of a Boy Scout troop, of a church group, or a business, whatever. You should have crystal clear understanding of the concepts of what it means not just to be a leader, but to be a great leader. Now, can all of us be great leaders? Aren't naturally born people great leaders or can they become great leaders? These are some of the questions that we have to answer. And then we deal with the concepts of what it means to lead, the responsibilities of what it means to lead, and how to develop characteristics within yourself that, are, uh, that lend themselves to you being a great leader. So I have to say, I was very impressed with these men and women. They had a sincere desire to understand the ideas, to be better at what they do so that they can help their officers better serve their communities. And in a day and age when we look at uh, law enforcement and we say, oh, there should be all this reform and we should change the way law enforcement does, it work, does its work and, and how it interacts with the community, there are some things that are true about that. You know, do we, what I say all the time here, you have to evolve with the times and with what's going on. How do we move forward? Do we learn anything from the past and do we move forward with it? So what I tell these officers is that I've been in this business long enough. I've seen law enforcement go from heroes to zeros and back again. And it all goes with the times and with what's going on. You know, when we have uh, a terrible incident or several terrible incidents that the public sees and becomes aware of that looks negatively at law enforcement, we see, we see lots of anger and resentment. And besides, nobody likes to have, uh, you know, police officers stop you and give you a ticket or stop you and give you a hard time. But the reality is we need our law enforcement professionals and we need them to do a great job every single day. Because without it, we see what happens. When, when officers back off of aggressive, proactive police work, we see the rise in crime. It is, it is, if it's not evident now, I'm going to tell everybody, you know, mark this down, the date and time of this particular show, because in another couple of years, we're going to have the same conversation again. 
and nobody seems to remember anything. Nobody seems to remember what they said uh, a week ago, let alone a couple years from now. But the reality is that the only thing that protects our society, that helps us to keep the innocent people safe, is aggressive, proactive police work. Now, you don't have to misinterpret aggressive, proactive police work. That doesn't mean going after people that you hate and you want you got hatred in your heart and you want to go. No, it doesn't mean that. It means aggressively patrolling our communities, aggressively looking to see what's going on. And if you see something suspicious, take action. Go find out what somebody's doing behind a closed strip mall at 2 o'clock in the morning. Are they back there because they had to uh, go to the bathroom and they couldn't get home? Or are they back there checking doors to see if they can break in and steal something? You know, motor vehicle enforcement. This is one area where I think we can use a lot of reform. A lot of reform in law enforcement. And it comes down to the leadership. What, what, what do our leadership tell us? And we've talked about this, this kind of concepts uh, before. You know, what, what do people want? What do the communities want from law enforcement? Do they want this uh, zero tolerance, uh, strict enforcement of everything? Or do we need to maybe look at the laws of our community and decide what's important to us? So motor vehicle is always an area that people get upset about. Because you know what? You're driving your car and, you know, you, you, you make a mistake, motor vehicle-wise. Well, now, uh, a, lot of, a lot of communities, and not the police, but the communities, will use uh, motor vehicle enforcement as a way to raise money. The state raises money through motor vehicle enforcement. Everybody knows it, and it seems unfair. Uh, you know, so you're driving along, and you're trying to slow down, and you're on a highway that's 50-mile-an-hour speed limit, and you're zipping along, and I know you're looking at the cars around you, you're looking to see if anybody's crossing the street, and the light turns yellow. And now you're trying to time it. Do I have a chance to get through the yellow light? And then it clicks red just before you get there, and then you go through. Well, I gotta tell you, by reality, you, you committed a violation. You did, you went through the red light. Going through a red light is dangerous. You can cause an accident and hurt someone or hurt a whole family of people. And the reality is the yellow light is warning you that you should slow down because the light is about to change. It really means you should slow down and stop. Now, nobody stops at a yellow light. Most people joke and go, yellow light means speed up. You know, you're trying to gauge, can you get through the intersection before the light turns red? And you go through that and you try to time it and you're not trying to, to blow a red light. You think you can make it because some of them have different timings, right? Some are longer, some are shorter. And you go through one, and there's an officer sitting there waiting to catch people doing something dangerous, blowing a red light, and they, they pull you over, and you get yourself a three dollars $400 ticket when you, your intent wasn't to do that. You thought you could make it. I understand that. Um, in reality, should we all slow down when we see yellow? You should slow way down, and so you stop in time. Do the people behind you let you stop, or are they on their horn, but it's still yellow, go, go, go. I know, I get it. I'm out there driving, too. It's things like that. You know, equipment violations drive people crazy. You know, uh, if, if, a, if my windshield gets cracked, uh, I have the funds to go get a new windshield and get my windshield fixed. But you know what? They're not cheap. You know, a windshield can cost you a couple hundred dollars. Insurance doesn't always cover it. And if you don't have a lot of money and your windshield's cracked and it's really not obstructing your view, then, you know, you get pulled over by the officer and, they, and they, give you a light, they give you a ticket for your cracked windshield and then a tail light out and all this other stuff. And not everybody can pay that money. 
So we have to ask ourselves as a society, do those things matter to us? Do we want our officers issuing tickets for that? Well, let's look at that and let's say um, that cracked windshield, does it endanger the public? Well, if the driver can clearly see out in front of them, then no, it probably doesn't endanger the public. It probably endangers the driver that the windshield could you know, come in on them or something if something else hit it. That's a reality, but it doesn't really endanger the public. Does a bald tire on dry days really affect other drivers? Sure, the tire could be bald enough where it pops and it blows and you lose control of the car and you hit other people. Sure, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. So I can understand that, and that's a conversation we should have. What do we want from our law enforcement officers? How much enforcement of things do we really want? And when I talk to these officers about leading, supervising, and mentoring, I try to teach them that one of the things they need to pass on to their officers is an understanding of what real fairness and real justice is. You know, is it fair and more just to stop somebody who's got a cracked windshield and it's really cracked and you say, listen, you have a cracked windshield, that's a violation. Um, the person has no warrants, there's nothing else wrong. They just got the cracked windshield. Listen, do me a favor, uh, within 10 days, go get that thing fixed, right? So that you have 10 days to raise the money, do whatever, and get your windshield fixed so it's not dangerous to you or the public or whatever. Would that be better or just hunk them out a ticket for $400 because they don't have the $500 for the windshield, so now you give them a $400 ticket. Now they drive down the road. Two days later, somebody in another town stops them for the windshield and says, well, you should have got it fixed yesterday and hands them a ticket. These are the kind of things that annoy people and really tick people off. So when I talk to these leaders and future leaders, I say, listen, let your officers know that they need to see the humanity of everyone out there and try and understand people's positions. You know, what, what are you trying to do? So giving that person 10 days to get their things fixed, I find that much more reasonable than just hunking them out on the spot. So there's lots of things like that. But the leadership parts of this is really about understanding not only the people they supervise, but the people in the community and themselves and themselves. They have to understand themselves uh, and who they are and what is their role in their agency and how does, how does their role affect the officers, uh, their subordinates, the other employees, and the citizens around them. You know, how do they deal with their local citizens? Or do, they, do they concern themselves um, with who people are and understand all the things about their community? So I remember uh, my friend Kevin McDermott. He was a captain in my place. And Kevin was in the Juvenile Detective Bureau, which uh, means he handled anything to do with juvenile victims, accused, or witnesses. And Kevin came from a middle-class upbringing in a nice, nice town in New Jersey. He had two parents. Mom stayed home. Dad went to work. He had several brothers. People went to church. They all did the right thing. Lovely family. And Kevin said when he got to police work and he worked in a town where there was people that didn't have the same things he had when he was growing up, he initially looked at that and said, well, you know, this is not right how you're raising your kids. This is not right that you do this. It's not right how you do that. And he saw things through through distinct uh, lenses that kind of led him to think that, hey, everything that people are doing that's different than the way I do it is wrong. And he said over time, as he did the work and he met people from these different, um, not necessarily different races but or different socioeconomic groups, just people who had different, uh, different ways of raising their children or living their lives that were different than what he grew up with. 
he started to see the humanity of all these people and to realize that, hey, just because I did it, my family did it one way, doesn't mean it's wrong to do it another way. And I need to open my eyes and open my scope and, and open my mind. And he's absolutely right. And this is one of the lessons I try and take to these officers, is that they need to think bigger about the world around them and to understand themselves, their officers, and the community they serve. So that it was a great experience. Uh, Connecticut is a, it's a beautiful place. I know recently the, um, the state has, uh, I don't know if you've never been here, it, it's surprising. I didn't realize Connecticut was as beautiful as it really is. I mean, we, we think about maybe some of the, uh, the cities, you know, Hartford, which is a, is a nice city, but it's a city. It looks like a city, right? It's got all the things of a city. But you go out towards uh, Foxwoods, you go out to that part of the state, to the eastern end of the state, it's absolutely beautiful. There's mountains there, and it's it's all, it looks totally New England. You know, if you imagine idyllic New England, it looks like New England. It's really a wonderful place, and the cops here were really great. And I talked to them about, you know, what are the new things going on, and, and how are they doing police work? And there's no doubt there is a thought amongst the officers that, hey, listen, the public is not happy with us. They don't like us and we are cutting back on our proactive, aggressive policing. We are being more reactive, which means they're coming to you after you've been victimized and taking a report. And they're like, listen, the reason we're doing that is, is people are screaming and they don't want us doing aggressive police work. They don't want us stopping cars and writing tickets and arresting people. And we see in society all across our country how true this is. Uh, you know, stop arresting people. They're, they're emptying out the jails. Because, you know, it's wrong that people are in jail and, and it's, it's, you can see the crime has gone through the roof nationwide. And this is the reason why. When you cut back on police activity, uh, you cut back on, the, on the, the roadblocks to crime that many people uh, prevents them from committing crime. So I don't, I don't want to uh, belabor the point, but I just want to say that it was great to be in Connecticut. These are great men and women. And I'll be teaching another class uh, also, I teach pre-employment background investigations, and this is to help officers understand, uh, people that do the backgrounds or people who want to be cops, how do we understand and find people that can police our communities, that we can trust to go out into our communities and, and look after everyone and do what is absolutely right, do what's fair and do what's just while enforcing the law. Right? So there are things we can look at. So normally, you know, you look at an application and what, what, what's every application ask for? When you, no matter what job they say, give us the name of three people that we can look, use as references. Now, what do you think those references are going to say about, say it's you. You ask three people you know to give a reference. What are they going to say when I call? Hi, this is uh, Lieutenant Joe and I'm doing a background on uh, Harry Upshalata and uh, listed you as a reference. So could you talk about, Harry's the greatest guy in the world. He's really awesome. Oh, he's a wonderful person. I think he's great. He'd be great at whatever. Right? That's what people are going to say. So we can't just go by that. It's nice to have three names. But what I do, when I do this, these kind of a background investigation, is I like to go beyond the, uh, beyond the words and the things that are in that and try and find how do I, how do I understand who the person really is. Who is the individual really, and how are they going to behave when you give them a gun, a badge, and a cop car, and you tell them, go out there and enforce the law? So can we get a fix on how someone might be in the future based on their past behavior? And the answer to that clearly is yes, we can. 
You know, can people change from the time they're young till the time they're more mature? Yes, of course they can also do that. But for many of us, you know, you, you set patterns of who you are and how you behave, and those are the things I look for. All right, so when I, when I look at your high school and college records, I'm looking for your grades to see how you did in school, but then I want to talk to your coaches. Were you, were you on sports? If you were on sports, were you a leader? Were you a follower? Did you, did you work hard? Did you try and do better? Uh, how did you treat people in your, in your school? You know, how we, what were you like in college? Uh, were you just a party person? And that doesn't mean party people are bad. It just means, you know, is that all you did was party? Did you get in trouble a lot? And then those references, those references can also give me names of other friends, right? Okay, so hey, reference, thank you. I'm glad you said so much. Harry be awesome at anything. Can you give me a name of two other people that Harry and you hang out with that I can talk to? This sometimes put people on, on nervousness. Oh, I don't want to give another name. Why? I'm just doing a background. What are the name of two other people you and Harry hang around with? Now you're going to maybe start digging in and finding out some other things. One of the things, strangely enough, that I look at is people's driving record. The driving record. So what, what big deal is the driving record? Well, this is, you think when you're behind the wheel of a car, you are who you are, right? Some people are road rage people. Other people are left lane hoggers. Other people are, you know, uh, slow pokes and they, they block the traffic, right? But beyond those kind of driving habits, what does the driver's record tell us? Well, if you have somebody, and most places now look for 21-year-olds and older to be law enforcement officers. People are more mature than when they were 18. Some places still take them at 18. But I think the 21-year-old thing is pretty good because you get a couple more years of life, a couple more years of experience. But if I'm doing a background on a 21-year-old and I see that at the age of 17 and 18, when they first got their license, they had a careless driving ticket. Maybe they had a speeding ticket. Maybe you know. Maybe they even had something worse than that. They had a, a reckless driving ticket. And now they're applying to be a cop. Well, you have to you have to weigh that out. You have to look at that and say, call the police department, see if the officer remembers the ticket and this and that. And if it was a couple of years ago, when somebody's young, they do stupid things. They don't pay attention. They don't drive well. Uh, but if the person is 21 or 22 applying and they got that ticket the year before they applied, when they were 20 or 21, I'd be a little more concerned because maybe this is who they are. They got one, they got a bad ticket when they were 17, they got another at 18, they got two at 19, one at 20. They keep getting these tickets. That tells me that they're not paying attention to safety. They're not paying attention to following the rules of the road. It can be an indicator what somebody might do later on when you give them a police car and a badge. You know, they might engage in a pursuit that they shouldn't engage in, or they might just drive dangerously at high speed. That's not everything. But you see what I'm saying? This is how you look at things more than just what's in front of that, uh, that page. You look to see what are the qualities we want in our law enforcement. We want people that are brave. We want people that are uh, honest. We want people that have integrity. We want people that um, do the right thing when choices have to be made. We see people that have good judgment. So how, how, do you, how do you tell about those things? Well, what I ask everyone to do in the class is I say, listen, come up with a series of questions about integrity. So what was a time you were involved with something um, that could have been inappropriate or could have been illegal and you chose to do it or not do it? Tell me about that. Um, one of the things we talk about is adversity and handling things under stress, right? Aren't cops under stress? And don't people make mistakes when they're under stress? So I might ask him, say, hey, tell me a time you were under some real stress and something that happened. How did you handle it, good or bad? 
And you'll be surprised the information you can get and it can help you to make a judgment on how this person might be in the role of law enforcement, especially if you have many years of experience in law enforcement and you've seen people who have gone wrong, gone bad, uh, and people who have done really well. So that's the kind of things I'm doing here in the beautiful state of Connecticut. Uh, I'll be back uh, in New Jersey and New York next week. But for now, I happen to be here and, and I, had a, uh, I had a nice time here. It's really, like I said, a nice place. And I just want to give you a little bit of a clue uh, of what we do out there. All right, so what's going on in the news? Huh? What's happening out in the world? Well, we've just recently had a Russian fighter jet crash into a U.S. Reaper drone. Now, these Reaper drones are not like the little drones you see people that do at weddings. You know, they got the four little spinners and it goes up and takes pictures at a wedding party. No, these Reaper drones are like quarter-size um, quarter aircraft with amazing avionics in them, technology. They have Hellfire missiles attached to these things, cameras, and they're flown remotely. You know, they're flown remotely and they go very fast. They're, they're almost like uh, aircraft on their own, except they don't have a, a pilot. And this thing is flying over Ukraine uh, in international waters where we fly all the time. You know, it's international waters. And a Russian uh, Russian jet, I don't, I don't know what kind of jet it was. I'm going to say it's a MiG because I know Russian MiGs, right? This MiG was probably either not paying attention, flew into the path of it, uh, and they clipped. And they went down in the, in the Black Sea, I think it was. Um, or it was pur purposely following it, chasing it, trying to go after it and do something, and th the pilot made an error, you know, pilot error. Uh, maybe the pilot who was remotely flying the, uh, the drone saw the Russian jet and tried to get out of its way and ended up, hey, who knows? But the fact is, the note I've made here, two things about this incident. This was an accident or an on purpose, but let's say it was an accident. If it's an accident, can accidents get us into bigger conflicts? Right uh, now, this is not the Ukrainian army fighting with the Russian army. This is now an American military piece of equipment uh, that was involved in a direct crash with a uh, with a Russian piece of military equipment. Could that potentially uh, start a bigger conflict? Now you got American and Russian forces actually coming head to head, even though it was an accidental plane thing. It could. Don't kid yourself. Uh, depending on the situation, it could be the excuse someone needs to do something, or it can be something that really uh, sets off public opinion. Public opinion demands that you do something more. There can be lots of things. So I, I found that interesting. The second thing I made a note about was that the Biden administration sent Russia a scathing rebuke about their plane hitting the American drone. And I guess, you know, in the world of uh, diplomacy, a scathing rebuke to another country over something they did is, is more important, uh, more appropriate than launching a missile at them to, to, to argue your point. But the question is, do you really think Vladimir Putin is upset by a scathing rebuke from Joe Biden? Do you think? That that's something that he's, oh man, President Biden rebuked us and we better watch our P's and Q's, you know. Uh, or, or oh, gee, Biden said something and we're shaking our boots here. We better back off. We don't want to anger him. Is that possible? Is that, what, uh, is that what's going on there in Russia? I don't know. We see uh, the Chinese are also uh, rattling their sabers at the United States like has never been really done before. Um, the United States and the United Kingdom are working with Australia 
to provide them with uh, nuclear submarines, nuclear-powered submarines. Uh, not necessarily nuclear bomb-issued uh, submarines, but nuclear-powered submarines. And they're doing this to really um, counter what the Chinese is doing in that part of the world. What they're doing in the, in the seas there, the Australians feel they need to get more prepared. Anybody with a half a brain in their head should be able to look at what's going on and see the Chinese making chess moves all over the planet with a goal of eventually taking over as the leader uh, of, the, of the world, the most powerful world, not necessarily be in charge of America, but you know what I mean, to be in a position of dominance. They're creating bases in the South China, China Sea out of nowhere by building these things. They are buying the land around uh, all over America, farmland, around a lot of our very, very uh, sensitive military places, which why the hell are we letting them buy land in America? It's not like they're buying a house in Cleveland. They're buying mass amounts of land uh, in our heartland, and they are an enemy. The Chinese communists are an enemy. Why are we doing that? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, but here they are. Uh, now threatening America, saying uh, the United States and the Allies are making a terrible mistake, going down a very dangerous path by providing Australia with these uh, submarines. What they're really saying is, how dare the United States and these other uh, countries of the West uh, help Australia to protect their homeland and the sea lanes around their nation? This is what we want to do. How dare you? And if you continue, you are creating a danger for yourself. Now, why would somebody say that, right? If I'm telling you, you know, uh, let's think of a common threat. Say you and I don't get along and we're neighbors and you all get out of your car every day and you step onto my property and I don't like you. I'm probably not going to say anything to you about stepping out of your car and onto my lawn to get out of your car. But what if you step out of your lawn, you walk across my lawn to get to your mailbox, you knock over a plant, you do something, right, that I don't like. And I say, hey, hey, stay off my yard. Don't, uh, don't come on. You damage some plants, right? And this is a silly uh, example, but it's trying to, something we can all register with. And you say to me, hey, mind your own business. Uh, I need to get out of my car and I had to get in my mail. It's just walking on your lawn. And I say, listen, let me give you a warning. Do it again and there's going to be a problem. Uh, you damage my plants, you're going to put yourself in a very bad position. That's a threat. Now, that's a veiled threat because I haven't said what I'm going to do, but doesn't that create a tension that now forces you to either back off and not step on my yard and damage my plants or continue to do it and figure out what's going to happen next? What's going to be the response from me to you? Do I cut your tires in the night? Do I trample your plants? Do I threaten you physically? If you do it again, it raises tensions. And the Chinese are doing this and saying this to raise tensions because it interferes with their plan. They don't want other submarines in there that can hold, hold their own with them. And they feel emboldened. They don't feel afraid of Australia. And they're definitely not afraid of Joe Biden and his administration. Uh, and I think that's a dangerous thing for America. You know, what's the old uh, mafia saying? They asked the mafia boss and they said, is it better to be loved or to be feared? And he says, it's better to be feared because people will respect you, right? If they love you, they'll take advantage of you, right? So you got to think about that. These people uh, in the world, our enemies, do not fear our president or his administration. 
uh, he's probably beholden to them financially, and therefore they're making moves uh, that they wouldn't make otherwise. Listen, some things to think about. This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody, welcome back to Chasing Justice. Here we are, Lieutenant Joe here. Okay, so it's been a while, really, since I did uh, uh, an entire program on uh, what's happening, social studies. Remember that in school? You did social studies to figure out what's going on in the world. Uh, I've, I've been trying to focus more on, on the justice part of uh, the program, and, and so I'm giving you a little more about police work and things going on in police work and that kind of thing at courts and justice around the country. So that's kind of the idea. But there are so many things going on in the world that we should probably talk about. Uh, let's, let's do a Biden section right today. Let's talk about our president. He is our president. Uh, his administration is our administration. And the rest of the world uh, deals with them, like I said before, uh, as they do. do they, are they concerned about them? Do they, do they, are they holding back? My concern, my fear, and I can't say fear, I guess the fear is not worded. My concern is that because I don't think the rest of the world, especially our enemies, uh, fears Joe Biden, I think they disrespect Joe Biden. I think they feel they have control over Joe Biden because one, he's not all mentally there. Um, and the people he has around him, the players he has around him, most of them seem pretty darn incompetent, right? I don't care who they are, where they're from, what they're all about. They seem incompetent at their jobs. 
Uh, and that doesn't hold, give any of us um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of good feelings about what's going on. Look at the banks, okay? We had this bank, uh, these banks failing. Now, shame on the banks. Um, shame on the people who didn't have something you know, in place. And, and it's a shame. Banks go under. It happens. But are we, in, are we in a mode now where the Biden policies, the financial policies, the printing of money endlessly the socialism that they're trying to push on everything, the attacks on our gas and oil, uh, natural gas and oil, uh, the, the different left-wing ideas that they are, they're running rampant with are now, as they say, coming home to roost. And we're starting to see uh, the problems that go along with all of these things that they, they have been doing and how that works out for the rest of us. So, what, what do you think would happen before the next election? Say we're getting closer to the 2024 election, and let's say Biden is the nominee, or Kamala, or Pete Buttigieg, or any one of the, the players that are on the stage right now are the, um, or maybe John Kerry, as uh, Rush used to say. Uh, maybe he's the nominee, or Hillary, or one of these, one of these other people. And they are up against Trump, or DeSantis, or, or anybody else Republican. And it looks like uh, say come August of 2024, that the Republican is going to win. And the Republican is going to take over in January, six, seven months later. Is this going to embolden our enemies to do some things that they might not have otherwise done? Is this when China rolls over Taiwan? Because what are we going to do? What are we really going to do if they roll over into Taiwan? Are we going to send the Sixth Fleet there? Are we going to send American soldiers, airmen, Marines, uh, to Air Force people to go there and, and die after the Chinese? Had, like, they could roll over the place probably in a day. If they had a massive attack, they could roll in, take the ports, take the land, do what they were going to do. And what are we going to do then? Are we going to go there and fight the Chinese army that far away from our own shores to reclaim Taiwan for it to be in contention forever then, whether we take it back or not. But it'd probably be a protracted fight, I would think. Um, or are we going to go devastation to get them out of there? Are, are we really going to do that? I don't think we are. And I think that our enemies are making these calculations, like Putin making the calculation that, hey, Biden ain't going to do nothing. This is the time for me to roll in and uh, take Ukraine. He just didn't anticipate Ukraine would be such strong fighters. So I think the Chinese are setting the table to make some moves. And if it looks like a Republican, who would probably be a much, much stronger leader, more competent, uh, was going to be taken over, we better do it before they take over. Because if they waited until December to do it and the Republican takes over basically, what, a month later, maybe there might be some problems. But if you do it in August or September, months before the Biden administration changes hands, then the chances of there being limited or ineffectual response uh, is much, much better. So I, that's my concern, right? Not my fear. That's a concern that I have. So another concern I have is my health, right? And you know I like to talk about Healthy Cell, and I want to tell you about it. The products are excellent. I take the Immune Boost. Uh, it has helped me to stay healthy and to feel healthy. And it's just about time for me to reorder. Uh, I'm almost out of my latest supply, and I think it's... Um, it's good stuff. It has helped me to feel better and stronger. I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I'm doing 10, 12,000 steps a day, and that's all because I feel better. 
and I think I can only attribute it to a couple of things, my desire to be healthier as well as taking the healthy cell. So if you're looking for something to help you, take a look at the healthy cell. They're all over the network. Uh, I can tell you it really, it really does work. Um, so there you go. That's another thing I'm concerned about, my health. Right? All right, so what else do we got in Biden world? Well, it looks like uh, the House of Representatives are starting to look carefully at the Biden family uh, under the auspices of the, uh, the computer from hell, as they call it, the Hunter Biden laptop. There is so much information that shows so much criminal activity, corruption by not only Hunter and the crazy stuff he did, but by the Biden family and how they were making money from the Chinese and from the Ukrainians from, and from many, many other locations, how it was funneling to Joe Biden. And think about this. Think about this. You'd like to hope that, you know, uh, the two different parties can fight with each other. The people of our country, we can have disagreements with each other. We can vehemently be, vehemently be opposed to each other's beliefs and this and that. But we would hope that the agencies, the, the, the things of freedom and liberty are genuine and uncorrupt, like the FBI. You know, you would think if the FBI did their real job, the Department of Justice did what's needed to be done to protect freedom and liberty and justice, then the two parties can argue with each other all day long. They can yell and holler. We can disagree who believes what and this and that. But we know that justice would be blind as it's supposed to be. That if there was uh, an indication of criminal activity by anyone, Republicans or Democrats, that the Department of Justice would look at it uh, with an open mind and with the idea of justice in mind, and they would go after investigation. When I was a, a police officer and I was in the detective bureau, you know, we had cases assigned to us. People would have crimes and officers would investigate and it'd be turned over to the detective bureau for us to investigate. But we also initiated investigations. You know, we weren't just there being waiting to be told, hey, Mary Ellen had her house broke into, Bob had his car stolen, whatever. We would get information about criminal activity in town and we would go look at it. We might get a call from an informant. We might get a call from another police agency. Hey, we arrested somebody and said, hey, in your town at this house, this is going on. We would go out and conduct an investigation. We didn't care who lived in the house. We didn't care who it was in the house. We were told that there was criminal activity in our town, and we would go out and investigate. And if it turned out it looked like crime and we could make a case, we arrested people and we held them to account, right? Does our Department of Justice do that? Are they doing that today? They have the Hunter Biden laptop since 2019. And nothing that we can see has been, there's an investigation going on about Hunter Biden and his taxes, right? Where, where's, the, where's the outfall from that? Now, for those of you who don't understand completely, because you weren't in law enforcement, your local municipal and your state police can act and normally do act much quicker on criminal activity. You hear about a crime, you investigate it, you gather evidence, and you prosecute if you possibly can. You charge people and they have to go to court, and, and there you go. Usually within a reasonable amount of time. Like most investigations, serious ones can be several months, six months, seven months to gather up. If, if it's a big operation you're working on. But that's it, six, seven months. Why do these federal agencies, the FBI, Department of Justice, do these investigations that go on for years Years and years and years. Why can't they move faster? It all depends on who's being investigated, right? If it's important, 
they can move very quickly, right? We see when there's a terrorist incident, how quickly they move, that they investigate, they go in, they swoop in, they find evidence, and they lock somebody up and they charge them. But we have political crimes, corruption crimes, that are just as much illegal as terrorism and can cause untold amounts of problems for our country and difficulty. And it goes on for years and years. How about the Durham investigation? That's been going on since Trump was president. And still, we've had one person indicted for faking up a FISA warrant, but no one else. We've heard nothing about it. Now, I don't know John Durham. Uh, I'm told he's, you know, he's, uh, he's a very good prosecutor and he's legitimate and doing the right thing. Why is it taking three years? Right? I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. President, put me in charge of the FBI and I will speed things up. Uh, it doesn't take years and years and years to do investigations. It just does not. Um, it can be done much quicker. And why do they drag their feet? Because it depends on what they're investigating and who they're investigating. So let's take a look. If the guy that found the, that had, was possession of the Hunter Biden laptop, if that guy had not made a copy of the uh, laptop, if he had not made copy of the hard drive so he could prove what was in there and gave a copy to Rudy Giuliani, um, do you think you ever would have heard of the Hunter Biden laptop? Do you think you would ever would have heard a word about it? No, you wouldn't have. You would not have had a, heard a single word about Hunter Biden's laptop. You would never have known about it. And the guy in the store could have screamed, hey, I had Hunter Biden's laptop and there was bad stuff on it. And all they would say is, we looked at it. There was nothing. It was personal. There was personal things on there. And that would be it. You'd never be able to look at it. You'd never be able to hear about it. But because that guy made a copy of the hard drive, which he kept before he gave it to the FBI, uh, he owned it, right? That's what happens when you leave property at a place like that and you don't pick it up at a certain date. It becomes theirs. It, it's converted over. That's part of the contract usually. So he owned it. So he's allowed to make a copy of it. Um, and he turns it over to the FBI, keeps a copy, and gives a copy to Rudy Giuliani. Now you got that guy who has actual evidence and you got Rudy Giuliani, who's a public figure with evidence. You would think they would have done something sooner, but they didn't because it was political, right? So this is the thing where we look as Americans and we say, gee, you know, we can argue with our liberal friends. They can argue with their conservative friends about what's right, wrong, and other. But at least the institutions of our country, if they acted blindly towards justice, we would all have more confidence. Why don't we have confidence? Because they're not acting blindly. We're seeing blatant bias here. Uh, in so many of our agencies, so many of, of the situations. Look at, look at uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre. Seems like a lovely woman. Uh, seems nice. She's attractive. She comes out. She seems educated. Does she ever give a straight answer? Ever? Right? And where's the press going? How about a straight answer? Could we get a straight answer out of you? All she does is she does political speak. She dances around. She half answers. She argues with the reporter that we answered that already. We'll stick with what the president said as opposed to just answering the question. Now, did they let Sarah Huckabee uh, Sanders get away with that? No, they were all over her every day. Uh, and she actually gave some pretty good answers. Well, she gave political answers too, no doubt. But she gave pretty clear answers to questions. Do we get information out of, out of Corrine Jean-Pierre? Do we get an answer to anything? Or do you walk away from those briefings looking at that going, that was some kind of word salad that I makes no possible sense whatsoever, but she answered questions for 45 minutes because we've been corrupted and that's what makes it feel 
strange and weird and not just. What did they say about the 87,000 new IRS agents? Right? We're not going after anybody that makes no taxes higher from people with less than 400,000. Meantime, all the fees went up, the gasoline's gone up, the food's gone up, everything's up. Who does that affect? That affects everybody who makes less than $400,000, right? Um, those 87,000 IRS agents, oh, they were talking about it the other day and they let it slip that most of those investigations are going to be small business, which is you and me, and they're going to be individual citizens to make sure you're paying your taxes. They're going to audit you. And what they're going to do is they're going to come after you. If you, you didn't, you know, I, I gave the church uh, $3,000. Well, you only have $2,000 worth of checks to show you gave the church. Yeah, but I, I, my first collection, I give a check. The second one, I throw a $20 bill. Yeah, well, you can't prove that, so you can't deduct it, right? Uh, so you owe us X amount of dollars. This is who they're coming after. They're coming after, because where is the money? You know, what well, Elon Musk, I think he said it the other night. I saw a clip of him on a video, and he came out and said, if you took all the money, of the rich, you know, the, the filthy rich. If you took every single dollar they had, you could run this government for a couple of weeks. So the money is not there in the super rich. They personally have a lot more than the rest of the country, but the real money is in the middle class, right? This is where the trillions of dollars of, of people's net worth and everything is coming in. So this is where they're going to come after. That's where you have to go to raise money or cut spending. And our friends, Republican and Democrat, are not going to cut spending. That's not their thing because money spending is power. You know, if you have money to spend, you have power to influence things, to make friends, to get people to vote for what you want, to give you more power. So the Biden probe is heating up. Our House Republicans are issuing subpoenas. And I wonder where, I wonder how it's going to come out. Jim Jordan seems like he's doing a pretty good job, that he's trying to go after the truth. Uh, but I don't know. Um, I don't know how it's actually, if they're, if they're going to actually do anything. You know, I talk with my father-in-law, Ted. Ted is, uh, Ted is our number one fan. He loves America out loud. Hey, Ted, how are you? I hope everything's going well for you today. Um, Ted listens every day, and him and I talk about these things just about every day. And the reality is he gets very frustrated that people aren't held to account because he knows he's held to account. Right? He was audited one time for exactly that. He was, uh, he got, it was a random audit for Ted. And Ted was a working man. You know, he, he worked and his wife uh, stayed home, took care of the kids. And Ted got audited one time, a random audit, and they wanted to disallow his, um, his church deductions. Now, Ted is a very generous guy when it comes to church. He makes sure he gives a good tithe to the church. He always has done it. And Ted was audited, and they said, we're going to disavow your, uh, the, the money you give to the church. We don't believe you gave that much. Well, he, of course, he had to go through the hassle then of producing all his checks, which he had. Ted's a very good record keeper. And he produced all his checks, and they still argued with him. We don't agree. We don't think this was all for the church. We think it was this, that, and the other thing. Whatever it was, it, it created uh, consternation for him. Uh, and for my mother-in-law, and, and it bothered him until finally he got to his supervisor who said, what are you doing here? Here's all the proof, and that was the end of the audit. But that's who they're going to come after. They're going to come after you. They're going to come after me. They're going to come after people in the middle, exactly opposite of what they said. And this is what's going to happen to all of us. So hopefully our, uh, our Republican Congress is going to pull that funding so they don't hire 87,000 agents to come after you and me for every nickel and dime we have. Um, why don't we have those, uh, let, let's hire 20,000 agents and have them look at our political class. 
right? Let's look at our politicians top to bottom. Let's go through their taxes, their personal taxes. Uh, let's go through their stuff and see what they're doing. There was a report out that said, I think they said 40% of federal employees don't pay their taxes. Well, let's go after them. Let's make sure they pay tax. I know I pay my taxes, right? I pay extra to make sure I don't have a problem. I learned that from Sean Hannity, you know? Uh, Sean says, they're not coming after me. I pay extra. And I said, yeah, you know, that's a good idea. I'd rather get money back than to owe them money. So I pay extra and I take care. I do my taxes because it's my responsibility as a citizen. But here's lots of people who don't. We know our politicians. Uh, we know they're doing all kinds of snaky things to get away with things. Uh, let's put 20,000 agents on them and let's take 67,000 employees and put them on the border. Let's hire border patrol agents to go down and help the cities on our border uh, that are being overrun because of these policies. Okay, so I think I covered quite a few things on our president in that little tirade. That the, let, me, let me cross this off here. On my page of outrage. Um, something else I saw recently in, in crime that I wanted to talk about. There was a 13-year-old girl from Texas who was online with a 34-year-old guy. And this man was grooming her across the internet, preparing her, trying to get her in the mindset uh, to be with him. Now, she's 14 years old. And they're talking and they're going back and forth. And finally, he shows up at her house in Texas. He lives in North Carolina. He shows up at her house in Texas and gets her in the car and takes her to North Carolina. Parents didn't know where she went, nobody where she went. And apparently, he lives in a shed on somebody's property that are not related to him at all. They let him live in the shed. The woman that lives there says, I don't know what he's up to out there. He lives in a shed. Now, literally, a shed. It looks like a 10 by 12 shed where you put your lawnmower and stuff. This is where the guy was living. And somehow or other, they, they got some information during an investigation um, that this guy might be involved and they found, uh, they found phone records and they started to find text messaging. And it was clear to the experts that looked at it that this is grooming. He was trying to groom this young girl to prepare her for sexual activity with him, a life with him, a love with him. And he came and picked her up. Then they looked at uh, video and they saw his car near her neighborhood and they went to the shed uh, and they found the young lady and they returned her back to her family. And he has been charged with a host of, of sex assault crimes and uh, all kinds of kidnapping and all kinds of things. This is a sick world when somebody will do a thing like that. But I'll tell you, this is just a shed in somebody's backyard, and here's all this this going on in there. That's like in Long Island. There was a guy, right? Remember the remember the guy that kidnapped the young girl, the 13 year old girl that lived next door, and he had a bunker built underneath his house that extended out under his front lawn. That where he kept this young girl and he sexually abused her there, and he was part. He was helping to search for her because he was just a loving neighbor. In the meantime, he had the girl under the thing. The girls in Cleveland that were kidnapped and kept in that house, and then they finally got away. There are there are literally, I'm going to guess, hundreds of people across our country being held against their will, especially women and girls, being held against their will. I read another one last week where this woman was kidnapped. Uh, and she was in the, in the back of this guy's truck, and she managed to uh, get the duct tape off of her hands, and she ran for help. I mean, these, these are the people we know about, let alone the people we don't know about. You know, you see all these missing people and missing kids. Most of the kids 
statistically that are missing are missing because of parental abduction. You know, you got a, you got divorced people and, you know, the, hi, the husband can't see the kid, the wife can't see the kid, and then they go and abduct the child and take off. Okay. Uh, and the child's in danger because the father took him. Well, unless the father threatened to kill everybody, the child's not really in danger. It just happens to be with the father, who's the non-custodial parent. Um, but there are legitimate snatch kids off the street and steal them uh, to use them for all kinds of uh, evil, sick things. Uh, in, on the Jersey Shore, years ago, there was a little girl, six years old, in a very wealthy community in our town. She was playing in the front of her house. And this guy pulled up in a van, literally in the van, right? How uh, cliche. Pulls up in a van, grabs this girl, throws her in a car, and takes off. Uh, and the investigation went on for a couple of days. And eventually, uh, they figured out where she was. And this guy was trying to drop her off. He saw all the, the, the news. The news was constant. And he figured, I better drop her off someplace and get her out of my life. And he, uh, he dropped her off. But unfortunately, they found out who he was, and they got him. But this was a real guy stealing a six-year-old girl. There are people out there doing these things. It's, um, it's a sick world we live in, in the world of crime. Now, uh, by me, uh, I have an office in Long Island. And in Long Island, there were a group of prostitute bodies dumped along Gilgo Beach. I mean, this is an unexplored uh, serial killer story. Uh, there's been a couple of, of news shows on it. But I'm telling you, I'm really intrigued by it because I'm close by. Um, it happened way before I went to Long Island, but now that I'm there and I hear this story about Gil Gilgo Beach, and they were, were like 10, I think, 10 prostitutes' bodies were dumped. Uh, they were looking for one girl, and they ended up finding these other bodies, and then they found a whole bunch of them. So this was a dumping ground, you know? So somebody, there was a, there's a serial killer out there dumping people at this, uh, on this beach for, for quite a while, apparently, right in front of us. In my own experience, um... In New Jersey, there was a, uh, there was a serial killer um, that abducted people and sexually assaulted their dead bodies. Sorry about that if you're, if you're a little uh, sensitive. But this is what this guy did. And his nickname in New Jersey was the Thrill Killer. And this guy, um, he abducted people and he basically killed them. And then he took their bodies home, did what he was going to do with them, and then he, then he got rid of them. And he actually uh, did this in the town that I live in, on the Jersey Shore, he took a young girl who I knew her brother. I went to school with her brother. And this girl, it was on Halloween night, I think, in uh, 19, 1980. Halloween night, she was walking up this highway, going to a party in another town, and apparently she was probably hitchhiking. Uh, and this guy, Richard Baganwald, is his name, uh, was his name. He's died since in, in prison. Richard Baganwald apparently picked her up uh, in his car, and killed her, and then took her home to his apartment where he abused her, her body, and then he buried her in, I think, his mother's property in Long Island. Again, in Long Island, right? And, and this was a horrific thing, but this was somebody that I know. I had been to this kid's house. I had seen this girl, and she was a victim of a serial killer. You know, so I find all of that um, terrible. I told you a couple weeks ago about a girl I, I was involved with that I investigated her disappearance, and she was definitely a victim of a serial killer. They tell us statistically that at any given time, there are 50 serial killers working in the United States, actively working in the United States. That's a scary thought, that there's these people out there that will attack you. Uh, and, and the last, uh, one of the last things I just saw, you may have seen it uh, on the news, 
There was a woman, she went to an ATM, and apparently she took out like $4,000 from her ATM. I don't know where an ATM can do that, but she took $4,000 out of her ATM. She was followed by a guy for 23 miles. He followed her. When she got out of her car, uh, he chased her down, and he body slammed her to take her money, and she's now paralyzed. She only has a 50% chance of regaining the ability to walk. Here's a guy that followed her for 23 miles. This is frightening to think that these kind of predators are out there, but they are. So we have to all be aware of that. And, and in the search for justice, we have to pay attention to these things. And that is why I train police officers, right? One of the things I was telling the group of cops today is that, you know, I hope that if I am ever victimized or anybody in my family, God forbid, is ever victimized, that the cop that shows up knows what they're doing, is competent, is a decent person, and he or she is good at what they do. Don't you hope that for you and your family? Don't we want our law enforcement people to be the best trained, the smartest, most decent people to help us? Well, I, I know we all do. So this, is, uh, this has been an interesting episode. We have more to come. Uh, we're running out of time here, but I want to tell you how much I appreciate you being out there. I really do enjoy the show. I want to thank the great Malcolm Out Loud for letting me have a, uh, a voice. I want to thank my brother and sisters in law enforcement uh, and ask them to uh, continue to do a good job, treat everybody fairly, understand how to, how to hold people accountable appropriately, and keep themselves and everybody else in their community safe so we can all live a good and decent life together. And to our politicians, get your act together. Stop attacking the cops. Support the cops. And let's get rid of this crime so we can all live safe and secure as one nation under God, indivisible and with liberty forever. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. This is Lieutenant Joe saying, have a great day.